3: he's scott in this issue the return of an old friend the end of an era the cult of personality plus hammer of the gods to drive our ships to the new lands reviewing the trade singing and crying valhalla the major spoilers podcast is on the air
2: Oh, man, we are going to talk Hammer of the Gods later in the episode, and I tell you, if you don't have some Led Zeppelin blaring through your mind as you're reading this book, then you are missing out, but we'll talk about that later in the show. Scott Johnson is back with us this week. Hello, Scott.
4: Hello. Thanks for having me back. I'm uh, totally stoked to be here. I feel like it was uh, – this is a weird one because a month ago, between the last time I saw you, I had a like our first real meetup for uh, for my shows and oh, stuff. right, right,
2: right. How did that go? Because oh, none, wow. none of us yeah, are attending conventions.
4: Yeah, yeah. We went, to, we went to Las Vegas. It was only a three- or four-day thing. But um, it had the weirdest effect of making time, g- g- like, break. So oh, I know. it feels like I haven't talked to you in six months, whereas the previous uh, time we got together and the last time, it didn't feel like anything but a simple month went by. Mm-hmm. This feels like I haven't talked to you in years, and I don't know why. It's really weird.
2: And, and it's really weird because you and I talk almost every single Monday. I
4: know that's the other thing. It's not like <laughs> I've had any lack of talking to you during the week. So I don't know, man, time is weird. Pandemics are weird. Put them all together. And, and what have you got? Some we've kind of got
2: nightmares. the news. And that means this week we're doing something special. It's the return of the wheel of morality. So our news items this Yay! week, Dune two needs a cowbell. The dark Knight returns to the auction block. Ticket to Ride heads to the Golden Gate City. Black Mirror is back to inflict more horror on viewers. The villains of the DCU are having a bad day. And Kevin Feige wows advertisers at the Disney upfronts. Let's spin that Wheel of Morality. Wheel of Morality, turn, turn, turn. Tell us the lesson that we must learn. And it lands on The Dark Knight Returns, lands or is headed to the auction block. Now, if you were to say what are iconic comic book covers... Uh, mm-hmm. And then you said "Dark Knight Returns." Scott, what mm-hmm. cover would you think of when I say "Dark Knight Returns"? And uh, iconic cover.
4: Uh, uh, what would it remind me of? Like a like another comic with an no, iconic no, no. cover?
2: No, 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 The what, oh. what 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 cover do you think of when you think of? Dark oh, I Night think
4: Returns. of uh, I think of lightning and a uh, jumping yep. silhouette of the Batman.
2: Lynn Varley's a cover. Uh, for the very first issue of the dark knight returns is headed to the auction block over at heritage auctions we got a story about this up on the major spoilers uh, website uh, for those people that are wanting to buy this uh, or maybe even bid on it the auction takes place over the june is it second holiday I, or not the holiday but the june 2nd week Uh, this is something that a lot of people might be very interested in. It's inks on graphite over Bristol board with an airbrush color work, uh, 12 inches by 18 inches signed by, uh, Frank Miller and, uh, Varney, uh, for this piece. What do you guys think about this, uh, this piece hitting the auction block?
4: Well, I mean, it seems like a very, it's very iconic for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know, it may it's a reminder that these things are now considered very vintage because of the time mm-hmm. that it's passed, but I don't mm-hmm. think of it in that regard. You know, I think of like Batman lifting a car up and saving people in uh in that original issue, or I think of some, you know, uh, maybe even McFarlane's Spider Man with all mm-hmm. the webs everywhere and all that. Maybe maybe those come to mind sooner, but I guess this is that old now and it's time to go. So, you know, let's go ahead and auction it uh, for the thing that it is. And before uh, before I know it, you'll tell me Watchmen's covers is uh, going up for auction. Oh, or I'm
2: I'm sure that some of those covers have already been up. Uh, it doesn't say in in the stuff that I read from um, Heritage Auctions who who are running this, uh, HA.com, they didn't say who owned this cover. So I don't know if this was in Frank Miller's hands or if this was in Lynn Varley's hands uh, and then or if they both had to agree together to sell it. But I would think, Rodrigo, that this is a, I think, a work of art that uh, a lot of people are interested in just from from the pop culture aspect of it, from the, you know, the Andy Warhol pop culture art movement kind of aspect of it. But then also the um, the collectibles market.
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, there's there's kind of two things going on here, right? One is like the, the one is if you like Batman nowadays, you probably like the Dark Knight. Right, mm-hmm. we're still we're still doing the Dark Knight uh, in in Batman comics and movies. So um, clearly, an extremely influential work. And then on the other side is just the people that are collectors, and they look at this and they're and they're uh, speculating, and um, it just creates a lot of buzz for it, which means that it's probably more it's going to have more eyes on it, and it's more, much more likely that it goes for a high. Relatively high amount.
2: Mm-hmm. So previously, um, the interior cover art was done by Klaus Jansen, uh, that many of you know him. He also did a big stuff with uh, with uh, the X Men. But the interior pages, or a, a one interior splash page uh, for Miller and, and Jansen, sold for just under a half a million dollars not too long ago. And another Batman cover uh, back in 2013 sold for, and this was the uh, one where Batman's all beat the beat to crap, uh, cover Mm -hmm. that one. He's perfectly square. Yeah. That one sold for, I want to say, was it a million dollars? Uh, Oh, oh, again, not a million dollars, half a million million. dollars back in 2013. So I'm wondering Matthew, that, that beat up Batman one, which you do see on a lot of the, uh, trades or some of the trades, um, you see it on t-shirts, you see it in a bunch of different places. That one sold for almost Mm -hmm. half a million. What do you think? Give me an estimate of what you think the, uh, price will be for this cover. Are we still looking at a half a million dollars or is this such an iconic it's been homaged and ripped off a million times since the 1980s is this something that's going to hit a million dollars
3: or no? I think so. Um and the reason that I think so is because I don't know if you guys know this, but you can in fact use multiple slurp juices on one ape. Um and that thought process of this is something really awesome and this is something know really iconic i mean the dark knight returns i i mock it a lot but even i admit it's a really really good series it's a really a game changer and this image is what you think of Mm -hmm. this is the image for dark knight returns it's that little pencil sketch by uh you know, by yeah, Frank and then everybody mm-hmm. else did all the really good work and made it into something awesome. Um, sorry, I, I had to take, no, it's it's
2: true. It. I mean, um, in, so in the heritage auctions piece and they really went out of their way to play this mm-hmm. thing up. They have a long interview with Miller where he talks about, yeah, I kind of had a little cutout piece and I drew a little thing and it went and evolved a lot before, uh, before, um, uh, Varley got a hold of it and, and finished yep. it out into something that they could both agree on. So it, yeah. yeah, I mean, he, Contributed, but I think we all look at Varley's finished work and say, "Wow, that's a yeah. that's a piece of art." Well, I'm, I, I'm feel like to, it, yeah. I didn't
4: know anyone else had anything to do with it. I thought it was Frank Miller all the way, top to bottom. Uh, I mean, I that's knew, what yeah.
2: he, Frank Miller, wants you to think.
4: He does. I probably <laughs> well, does, and he, and he, you know, he's probably
3: right. Because in know. 1986, though, Lynn Varley was Mrs. Frank Miller, so there's a really good chance that she was part and parcel of all of this you know you kind of wonder she colored that whole issue and she was one of the first colorists colorists to really go um what i think of as that modern you know photoshop coloring not quite as hyper saturated but full-on digital coloring and of course they had paper that could support it and it looked really great Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. as you go through that i feel like part of the reason that it hits as hard as it did And part of the reason why I'll tell you, you know, it's so far ahead of his time is because the coloring in this book and, you know, the work that Klaus Janssen put into it and the work that, you know, all of the people involved, including uh, put into the book, really did kind of set a tone And people were the reason we have so much of this computer coloring is because people are trying to replicate Mm -hmm. what Lynn was able to do on this, you know, super high class paper.
2: Yeah, this was also prestige format, right? As you said, Matthew, this is a high quality, slick uh, paper that, again, comic books at the time, still kind of cheesy newsprint kind of stuff, maybe a a step up from that. So this was something that was very different. I remember when the original issues came out that I would see them on the stands and I was just like, "Mm, that looks really interesting, but I can't afford that and it wasn't yeah. until a few years later after the trades were already still a regular in B Dalton's uh yeah. that i finally uh ended up buying a copy and it just changed my life but um i remember that time that it was something that was really out of reach uh yeah. for a kid who was used to spending you know 25 cents 75 cents a buck on on a comic book so
3: yeah we were that, paying 75 cents and i think that Dark this one was probably like a buck fifty a buck or two, 50.
2: yeah, two two something. I think um, somewhere around there. Okay, so we did have to spin the wheel of morality. Uh, so we now needed to it's oil time, that thing too. It, it is time for a lesson that we must learn. So there has been a lot of, I don't know, a lot of uh, attention paid to collectibles, and we've talked about collectibles in in, in, the, in the past, whether that be you know a Pokemon video game selling for a million dollars or a comic book cover you know selling for two million dollar or just a comic book selling for two million dollars um people are really putting a lot of attention on this collectibles market whatever that collectible market is so is there something that we can learn from all of this scott johnson is is there something that we should take away from this or or pay attention to is there some valuable lesson to be found in this in this little news story well
4: i think there's okay i've actually been thinking a lot about this because uh it's mostly in my head because you're hearing about all of the, all of the recent uptick in
2: collectorship, like especially the collapse of collapse of the NFTs, that kind of stuff.
4: Yeah, that stuff, but also physical goods taking off and not slowing down. Like that stuff's gone crazy. Um, Whereas NFTs and other things have kind of crashed. And I think what's going on is I could be dead wrong about this, but as somebody who creates digital art and sells physical You know, reproductions of it and either book form, but also digital form and that sort of thing. These, these, these kinds of things are interesting to me, but I think what's actually happening a little bit is we're swinging back ever so slightly in a macro way toward a different time. Mm. Um, the advent and uh, excitement around newsletters is so at first was so baffling to me. Mm-hmm. But I think everybody's trying to grab a little bit of how things used to work. It doesn't mean we're not happy to be on this rocket bullet train to to the future, you know, with all of its problems. We still we still want our phones in our pockets and our connected all the time lives and all this stuff. We want those things as much as we maybe say we don't. But I do think that there is a genuine desire for a lot of people to say well, I'd really like to have that on my wall. I'd really like to have that somewhere physical in my in my uh, mm-hmm. you know, my, my, my bookcase where I keep all my favorite things. And uh, I think that that is that – we're going to see and, – and, and I think we're just at the cusp of it, but I think we're going to see kind of a massive swing back in that direction. Um in terms of the values or what these things are ultimately going for, that will ebb and flow and, you know, who knows? It's always a supply and demand kind of thing and whatever. There's a lot of an, ec- an economic uh, aspect to it that I don't – you know, fully understand or have ever studied for, but my gut tells me that we long for the things of our past. And those people are all hitting an age now where they can afford more of that. Some of them mm-hmm. ridiculously So, and they, you know, they, that lets them pull back a little bit from this, Ephemeral space we we all exist in now, where it's all ones and zeros and can be gone with the flick of a switch. Yeah, I think that's what's going on. On, a, on maybe that may be a little esoteric and on the on the larger view, but I, I really feel like there is something like
2: that going on. Rodrigo, what about you? What are some deep thoughts that you may have about this uh, collectibles craze that we see going on?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think collecting stuff is something that um, has really really become somewhat stratified now there's like you know auction houses that specifically cater to this like heritage um obviously heritage does other stuff as well but they they have like very specific comic book stuff and video game stuff um you see that uh as products are created now um like for example magic the gathering now has uh, at any given point between two and four different types of booster packs. Mm -hmm. right like booster packs all used to be the same you get like 15 cards one of which is a rare well now there are um for example collector boosters which might have more rares more foils and more uh, and also some cards with alternate art that can only be found in those packs um which makes them uh more desirable for collectors also a lot more expensive right you're you're instead of you're looking at at a booster that's going to cost you know double what a, um, what a normal booster costs. So in the same way that we get variant covers, in the same way that we get, um, foils in in all that stuff, this is kind of new products, kind of trying to create a collectability to them, uh, which. Some would say like an artificial collectability to it, but I don't know that anything is actually artificial because, um, in the end, it's kind of the, the the market or whoever's buying it who who decides. But I, I do think it's interesting that, um, uh, the the aspect of collectability that is like interesting and possibly weirdest to me is this thing where companies are trying to put out collectibles. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and, and have you know i never sometimes having success sometimes not because you can't necessarily predict what the market wants um yeah. or what you know what the people with disposable income coming of age or or maybe going into into middle age um are going to be nostalgic for or, or whatever it's, mm-hmm. like I think make,
0: it's
4: like
2: trying to make a viral video
1: yeah on, that's what i was yeah, just gonna yeah. say or yeah.
2: you know it's it's kind of like the mighty mugs and the um um Funko Pops? The pop, yeah, the Pop yeah. Finals. Because it's like, well, here's these two competing little things, which one's going to be the hit? And people, you know, jumping to Mighty Mugs and, and saying, oh, this is the one that'll be better than than the right. Funko Pops. And then Mighty Mugs just, everybody
3: turned their back on that yeah. uh, real quick. Well, Matthew, that's because, you know, Beta costs, costs slightly more. I'm right. sorry, go ahead.
2: Well, no, it's because Beta didn't record as long as VHS. But what were you going to say, Matthew? What's the, what's the moral lesson we can take away from uh, Batman uh, Dark Knight Returns cover?
3: I feel like um one thing that you have to keep in mind is that from a historical perspective and i mean historical not in comic book terms but historical historical um you're looking at a very very young sort of collectability you're looking at you know um uh, th- there's a theory uh that the value of money is going to be based on that future value in the rate of interest and for a different definition of interest That's true of comics. Comics go in about a 20-year cycle. Comics start in like the late 30s. By the early 60s, we have our first specific comic book shops. As those 20-year-old books got harder to find and more available, people paid more for them. Then you get to the 80s and you see the inflation where, oh, the books from the 60s are now worth a lot of money. The huge comic book crash of 1996 killed the industry for about six years. So it wasn't until 2002 or so that the comics industry as a whole really got past that crash. We are now hitting a point where 20 years later, 20 years of a different mentality of we're going to make these books and we're not going to cater specifically to the speculators like they did from 84 to 96 means that you do have books that have suddenly popped in value. I remember people throwing out big collections of new mutants, new mutants. 98 is now a really hot back issue. Hard to yep. find because no one was reading new mutants, but that first appearance of Deadpool is right there for the picking yeah. for the nine guys that bought the issue. So it's
2: funny that you said that, it, you know, we go in this cycle because I look at the cycle of, as someone who puts up the sneak peeks and looks at every single solicitation that every publisher is putting out. And I just look at the, the dearth of uh, variant covers that are hitting the stands now, and I'm like, oh man, they did not learn the lesson back in the '90s, and they're repeating it again right now. Wait, do you mean a dearth or a plethora of dearth? Uh, a plethora
3: of dearth, a dearth means a, a dearth means a lack of. Oh no, a then it's it's a plethora, a plethora of dearth of yes. I'm can, sorry a for a the last dirt. ten years I've confused you. Yeah, you an, inverse, no, an inverse of a threat, an inverse of dearth. Minute.
4: I made somebody really mad the other day cuz I said I needed to unthaw some meat and when I was growing <laughs> up that was the way you said it even yeah, though
3: exactly.
4: you thaw a, meat, unthought you know that's
1: a that's a regional thing I've definitely encountered unthaw in my travels yeah yeah, yeah. to unthaw so <laughs> you <laughs> know here's the thing
2: uh a lot of people are making fun of the nft right now uh, and the nft collapse and ha uh, 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 the idea behind the nft regardless of the blockchain and regardless of damaging the environment it was Here is a one thing that you can own. One thing that is unique uh, among all collectibles that no one else has a copy exactly like yours. Which, if you think about people that were in the 80s and 90s who were buying up comics because it's like, someday I'm going to use this to pay my kids college. uh, They didn't realize that there were a million copies of X-Men number one uh, hitting the stands. And so, uh, obviously, that's not going to put your kids through college. As Matthew alluded to a moment ago, the future value of a dollar uh, with interest, whatever, a dollar... Five years from now, a dollar next week is not going to buy as much as a dollar can today. So people are looking at maybe some harder commodities right now, commodities that may have a lasting value like art. And mm-hmm. certainly when we talk about original art from comic books, that is something that is only one of these exists, or in the case of comic books, rare comic books like the Action Comics number 1, where um, there literally are only maybe 10 of those still in existence today.
3: I think there's, they, they estimate 16 copies.
2: Something like that. But yeah. it is a rarity, right? It is something that is rare. And if you're looking to invest in something that will hopefully have a return on your investment plus some, then investing right. in art like the the cover to The Dark Knight Returns, Makes a lot of sense because that is something that will providing that it's taken care of. It'll probably go into one of those weird airport uh, art storage places that uh, somebody sure. go and look that up because that stuff is really weird when you go into that weird. to that whole thing. But, yeah. um, you know, if somebody buys that for a half a million dollars, who's to say in 10 years when that goes back on the auction block? Uh, that it's not going to go for $2 million or even more. Right. So someone's going to be making money on that. Same way with real yeah, estate. I
4: guarantee it. The, yeah. the difference yeah. between what you're talking about now and the NFTs, not to get too far into an NFT discussion because I could take all night, right. but I, I just want to make this one clear notion of why I think NFTs are crashing. NFTs and its interest and its activity are not being run by artists. Right. It's being run by yeah. speculators and the most unartful yes. people I've ever met in my life. And the problem with that is, Uh, you're going to run out of steam doing that because the art isn't there. You just isn't.
2: Well, and that's, that goes back to the variant covers of the 1990s or the idea that if I buy this number one issue back in the 1980s, that it's going to be worth a lot more, but there's so much of that going on out there that there is, that there is no way that that's going to make, make it up. But if you can buy original, if you can buy original art, holy crap, that's something that you can, that you can bake on. I mean, I've got original art that I've sold recently when we had our, our um, house issues uh, last summer with the termites that I bought these things for less than a hundred bucks and I sold them for six times that much, uh, right. seven times that much uh, last year. So there's something about that stuff that can retain its value. So I know that there's a lot of people that are like, oh, people who have a million dollars are buying this comic book or this cover art. It's your money. Do what you want with it. And if you think that this is an investment that it will pay off for you later, then by all means uh, do that. But th- there's other things that you should probably look at, especially when it comes to pyramid schemes or to, something that there's a literally a million copies of, um, that you might want to, to rethink that investment opportunity.
3: And in times of upheaval, like the last five or 10 years, you actually see people who specifically, and we saw it, you know, during the time when people were in their homes, people focusing on their collecting people, Mm -hmm. buying things up. And part of the reason that's happening is that emotional comfort that we talked about. But part of it is the fact that during times of upheaval, many of us, I won't say most of us, but many of us start focusing on the simple concept of survival. Mm -hmm. So the price of those collectible things starts to slide a little bit. As you come out or as you feel as a society, like you're coming out of times of of upheaval, that's a good time to snatch those up so that in a year or two when we're feeling better and we can watch a zombie movie or you know we can look at you know disaster films or these weird things without having that sense of crushing doom people are going to be like well now that i'm not in hard scrabble survival mode taking all of the toilet paper and the baby formula and building you know a little house out of it in my basement Maybe I do want to get back to those those comfort things of my youth, the shows or the comics mm-hmm. or the baseball cards that used to make me feel good. And all the schmendricks who had all the money and bought those up will then jack the prices up for the people who want to go buy them. So I, I think it's an investing art, strategy.
2: Yeah, art, I think, is a good investment. So there you go. Um, all right, everybody. Uh, we want to know what you think about uh, collectibles, uh, art auctions, comic book auctions—those kinds of things—you can join the conversation about this and a whole lot more over on our Discord server. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free. We would love to see you gr- uh, join our growing community of awesome spoilerites. There's a link in the show notes, and uh, there's certainly a lot of cat gifts waiting on your arrival. And if you want to hear some more thoughts on any of the other stories that I noted, I put the links to the stories in the show notes. But Thursday night, 7:30 p.m. Central Time, about a half hour before we record the Dueling review podcast live also over on the discord that you are welcome to come and hang out with us. I usually go over some of the the top stories from the week. So I'm sure that we will touch on some of these uh, Thursday night between seven 30 and eight, as we prep for the uh, Dueling Re- review show that starts uh, at eight o'clock PM central time. Come join us for that over on our discord server. Okay, I thought that was a really good conversation. It was nice to see The Wheel of Morality still has a a place at the Major Spoilers podcast, but now we must get into some reviews. Scott, we're going to start with you this week because usually we go by whoever has the issue that is the oldest in our comic book list, but you, number one, don't have a comic book, and number two, you're talking about something that was popular when we were kids.
4: Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm pretty sure it was only popular with our fathers. But um, oh no,
2: Uh, Heather Heather Locklear. Mm. Mm -mm.
4: Oh, that's no. You're thinking of um, different Heather Uh, Heather. Ah, crap! More more than two people have made this mistake. Heather Thomas. Oh, Heather Heather Thomas. Thomas. That's
3: right. I I had her poster.
4: Here was uh, was uh, uh, T.J. Hooker. It's easy to mix.
3: Yeah, those shows are almost identical. But Howard Cosell kept making that problem on Battle of the Network Stars throughout the eighties. Oh man, really? Wow. Yeah. That is, is that Lear or Thomas? I, yeah. I don't know. I'm Howard okay. Cosell. Why am I even here? <laughs> Why am I even involved?
4: Uh, well, someone's got to do the play-by-play. Anyway, the deal is uh, I got a little bit of a wild hair. It's been a very busy month for me on lots of fronts and uh, just needed some, kind of something in the background while I got caught up on stuff, and I decided to start watching uh, old reruns, basically a, a run-through of the entirety of The Fall Guy, uh, a Glenn Larson joint from the 80s, which, uh, you know, he made everything back then. Knight Rider, Magnum P.I., oh, this, yeah. Battlestar Galactica, all of it, really. A yeah. kind of bit of a local hero around here. It had a big Utah connection. But anyway, <clears throat> that, um, that show is stupid good fun. Uh, I really, really like The Fall Guy. It's got all the trappings and tropes and sort of garbage. All of that sort of serialized television did back in the day. Um, but... There's a certain joy to it, and I can't really put my finger on what's going on. Uh, some of it hasn't aged very well contextually and other things, but for the most part, it's a just a fun, stupid show, and I really
2: like so it. So remind people, Scott, who've never heard of The Fall Guy, what okay. is The Fall, fall guy, guy about? Give us the premise, right. because it stars uh, Lee Majors, The Six Million Dollar Man.
4: That's um, right. So if you ever saw The Six Million Dollar Man, then you know who that is. If you don't know who Lee Majors is, he was big because of that you know half robot <laughs> cyborg guy that oh, was he's considered. married to
2: farrah fawcett too so da, well, da, da, da. Yeah. for
4: a while anyway right we're there. yeah, yeah so. they,
2: were, they were married for like a hot minute then,
4: yeah, yeah he's still with us That guy, he's still still kicking around yeah, he's, he's like right. 104 or something he's very old now but uh he was old when he was in the fall guy but anyway it's this uh story of this guy who works it's an odd kind of idea because it makes it sound like working as a stuntman in hollywood pays almost nothing that's kind of the premise because um, he does these amazing, incredible stunts. The entire theme song is about all the people he does stunts for uh, and all the lady actresses he wants to impress of the era, uh, Bo Derek and, you know, the people in that in that vein. Um, anyway, uh, when he's not doing stunts, and he often is to start an episode, uh, what he'll do is then go, basically, he's looking for uh, bail jumpers, and he works with a lady who's a bail bondsman, owns a bail bond bonds company thing, and he runs around with his partner, I forget his name. He's kind of a doofus. Doesn't do anything in Hollywood. Kid. No. Kid. called they him all. They just him Kid. Yeah. Uh, him and Heather Thomas, who's uh also does some stunt stuff with him. Anyway, they just go around in his truck and solve crimes and bring back fugitives. Sometimes the fugitives aren't who you think they are. Oftentimes, it's a big misdirect and someone else is the villain. One of my favorite discoveries about watching this now that I didn't realize at the time is it is a running... Uh, <laughs> I don't even have like a train of some guest star every week that, you know, from a million mm-hmm. other things. Mm-hmm. And and I don't even think sometimes back then that was as obvious, but like Bull Shannon from night court, uh, Martin <laughs> mole, uh, uh, the other Mull, Richard Mull, Richard Mull, uh, the guy who played jaws and, uh, the, 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 uh, James Bond movies, Richard you Keel, know. Richard Keel. Yeah. My rest is soul. A uh, whole bunch of people like that just constantly running through this thing as if they had nothing else to do and that's how it was back then i just kind of forgot that this is Mm -hmm. what you did you swapped all your stars around they were all often from the same network for some reason well some some
2: films you know and of course a a lot of that led to battle of the network stars right where they would get all these stars that were on one network doing silly you know (laughs) events with all these other stars at another network uh yeah, yeah you were speaking of um uh, Richard mall, Marky post was the bail bondsman uh, bail bonds of that show.
4: Oh, that's right. Yeah. So there's that connection there as well. I guess this would have been just prior to, yeah. to the night, which happened yeah. a few years later, but it's, uh, it's just a, you know, you always know, you kind of see everything coming, you know how it's going to all work out. Uh, and it, and that's fine. Sometimes we need that. I think there's also, you know, we were talking about the collector's market right now. And then nostalgia stuff that's kicking into a bit higher of a gear. I think this is true of, of old stuff for me right now that I can watch and consume. And there's something about it. Like, I think that's the reason the new star Trek, um, uh, strange new worlds is, is, is resonating so much with people because they're going back. That show's gone back to, Hey, we got a villain of the week and we're going to take care of that every week. And we're going to go find a new place with a weird alien and we're going to deal mm-hmm. with it. And mm-hmm. then next week we're going to do something totally new and really haven't done that since TNG or, or, you know, to some degree, I guess Voyager, although it had more, running threads than, than most. But the point is like a return to that away from serialized television of every week, we got to follow the same story and pretend this is lost and do a hundred million seasons. And you know, like I think not that we're tired of it. We'll keep having those, those exist, but I think there's like a, a desire to have some of that back. I know I feel it, and I think that's what drew me to this. And that is absolutely what I'm getting. So, so
2: where are you watching this at? Did you dust off uh, your old VHS copies of this? So the first
4: season is available just about anywhere. And I own it digitally from Apple or maybe ah, okay. Apple, I forget, but seasons two through four or five, I forget if it's, I think it's five are nowhere to be found. Oh. Nowhere has these anywhere streaming or otherwise, just not available. And so I've got a friend in Canada with a sweet Plex server that uh, very kindly <laughs> let me have access to it. And why he has them, I don't know. But apparently, uh, there's something up with the rights or something's weird about those final seasons. And I'm actually kind of excited to get through them to see if I can tell why. Maybe there's something about them. But yeah, um, my favorite thing, though, so far of the entire watch, because right now I'm kind of in a groove with it and it's just what it is. But that pilot, which is always the case, pilots are weird, right? Pilot for that show. Has about eight more stanzas to that freaking song. Mm-hmm. And he sings about Burt Reynolds. And, and like, there's a bunch of stuff you never hear in the theme in the rest of the series. But yeah. in that pilot, they kept going back to the song with him singing it, Lee Major singing it. And it's like three or four times in the episode. And you hear stuff you've never heard before. That was a freaking trip.
2: I wonder, in, I remember that a lot of the stunts that they would do were maybe pulled from other movies or TV shows that yes. may have, may yeah, not have been copyright issues, but maybe that they are copyright issues now. And so maybe that's a, maybe that's an issue of,
4: uh, I think it was other CBS or I can't remember the network now, NBC, whoever it was. It was other of the same network. They were um, borrowing okay. from each other. I think maybe. a lot of that was happening. Yeah. Um, and also, um, uh, what was I going to say about it? Oh, n- <laughs> it is hilarious to me. It didn't even occur to me when I was a kid but this is a show about a stunt man and the episodes are full of stunts and he's not doing any of them The stuntman <laughs> for him is doing them. <laughs> Lee majors does none yeah, of it. And it, yeah. that is so funny to me now. I just I it never occurred to me until this watch through, but anyway, it's um, it's a, it's a, just a good stupid time. And it reminds me of a, a simpler day.
2: Yeah, definitely. Rodrigo, <laughs> like, have you ever seen the fall guy?
1: No, I didn't even know it existed until now.
2: Oh, now you're going to go ch- track down the pilot. I, I think yeah, I might I
1: might I might go look for it. I mean, I I just you never know what you're going to enjoy, right? It's mm-hmm. like uh yeah. I never thought I was going to get into The Prisoner and yet I was I was terrified of those Told like, you. those weird Bouncing white balls. balloons. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. And you know, uh if you're listening to this show and you do remember the fall guy, take some aspirin or else you're going to really hurt in the morning. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you will. He also right. the old shirts. Yeah. Thank
2: you for that, Scott. A nice trip down memory lane. Oh, here's another trip down memory lane: Microface, a Planet Money comic book. Now, this is a story that I've been following for over two years now. If you don't know, I want to say it's like in 2020, maybe 2021. Planet Money, the podcast, uh, the radio show, all about money. They wanted to get in, cash in on the big Marvel uh, comic property craze. And so they went out to see about creating their own comic book character and they interviewed a bunch of people on the show. And ultimately uh, somebody was like, well, uh, maybe it was Alex Segura uh, was like, why don't you just go and look for a, what they wanted to do is go and buy a comic book character that wasn't being used by another publisher at the time. Alex Segura over at Archie was like, no, nobody's going to sell you their comic book character because there's no, there's no way that they're going to give up that IP. And he said, why don't you look for a character that's in public domain? Enter Microface from the 1940s, which entered the public domain, and they decided that uh, they would uh, create a comic book around this character, and they changed it enough to where they wouldn't violate any of the original creator's um, uh, rights. Uh, The daughter, I guess, still had maybe some control of the character, but they changed it just enough to where they wouldn't have to do it. Of course, they got the family blessing and all this stuff. And so for the last two years on the podcast, they've been talking about all the stages of making a comic book. Uh, and looking at it from a Planet Money perspective, of where does all the money go in this in this process? And finally, they they their most recent episode about MicroFace, they talked about why there was such a delay in the release of the comic book, which was a lot of the the host's fault because they added in a bunch of pages and then didn't realize that was going to affect uh, the printing and the cost of that and all of that stuff. Um, but last week it finally arrived. You can buy it on the NPR website. Um, but uh Microface, a Planet Money comic book, is about um the original Microface has been gone for years. He he went away during the uh, House on American Committee, uh just like all the other superheroes, which I thought was a nice nod maybe to golden age uh comics uh where you know they wanted to unmask them and the hero said, No, we're going away. And so the golden age heroes disappeared. Uh but this one is where the grandson of the original Microface is working for NPR, and uh, his father's his grandfather's company is bought out by, oh gosh, I forget, uh, a company called Golden Age. And he can't figure out why the company would be sold, and so he receives this package in the middle of the night. His grandfather's been dead for years. Um, He was adopted by his grandfather. Her parents are also dead. But he receives this package after the company has been sold, and it's got the original Microface costume in it, or a Microface (laughs) costume in it. And he's going to investigate why his grandfather's company, as well as all of these other tech companies, have been bought up by this uh, this megacorp and why they aren't corporate rating it and selling it off piecemeal because they spend. Because, again, a Planet Money comic book, they spend a lot of time talking about IP acquisition and uh, how corporations will buy up and sell off pieces of companies. Uh, The main villainess is called uh, Corporal Raider. Uh, in this piece, uh, <laughs> it's it's full of some punny stuff. Uh, uh, Alex Segura of uh, Archie Comics, uh, also of the recent book Secret Identity, which is a great book you should read. He is the writer of this. He kindly uh, provided me a copy of uh, this book for a review. Jamal Igle does the interior art, and Jerry Ordway redesigned the Microface uh, character, as well as providing the cover for the issue. It's it. There are times where it gets a little little uh, dry when they start talking about the money stuff, but I still find it very fascinating. If you're wanting to find out how corporations buy up other corporations and why, but if you also want to see a 1940s character resurrected a la the uh, project superpowers over at dynamite entertainment, this is a fascinating look at how two guys who know nothing about the comic industry, but want to figure out a way of, can we cash in uh, with the IP of something? And they kind of do it. Uh, the first issue is out and you can go and check it out. I thought it was interesting. It is, uh, I want to say it's 64 pages. Maybe it's 48 pages, 40 pages, uh, 40 pages of comic book. It is $6.99, but again, uh, this is, uh, not, not, uh, comic book publisher pricing. This is independent, uh, comic book pricing. And that's about what you're going to get for a 40 page comic, uh, from an independent, uh, comic book producer, uh, you know, like a Kickstarter kind of thing. Uh, so this is something that I think you might want to go and check out just for the novelty of it. Um, uh, again, your money is going to go to NPR, not to these. Uh, I mean, they've paid off uh, Segura and Igel and Ordway uh, for all this stuff. So I'm not sure that the money is going to be filtered to them in any kind of royalty. Maybe it is, um, but uh, this is going to kind of NPR. So if you're not an NPR fan, uh, be aware of that. They've also created a bunch of merchandise. And now I think they're looking at what's the next thing that we can do with our character of Microface. Uh for those of you that are wondering, uh Microface, it's not just a horrible name. He does not have a teeny tiny face. Uh, that Micro- it? Uh, and that is that is the running gag throughout the issue is every time someone says Microface, they're like, oh, does he have it? no, he doesn't have a small face. He actually his helmet, um uh, so again, you gotta think of the 1940s, uh, is basically a microphone with like a speaker box for the mouth. And so he can uh, throw his voice, he can project his voice, he can um apparently the the microphone allows him to have X ray vision in a lot of different things. So it's it's mm-hmm. you know, it's the microphone of his mask is why he's called uh, microface. He has yes. enhanced
3: hearing too, yes. I believe.
2: It is an unfortunate it is an unfortunate superhero name. So uh
3: number yeah, one, if you are
4: into this uh, if you had a tiny face I'd be like, ah oh, sweet, he's microface yeah, but now the yeah. yeah, because he's got a mic on his face, yeah, yeah. microphone, and face.
2: and the reason why they and the reason why they ended up latching on to this is because obviously they're podcasters, they're talking into to microphones all the time, and they thought microface would be a great thing. I would yeah. highly, highly, highly encourage every single person who's listening to this podcast right now to go and track down the Planet Money episodes about microface. I think there's five of them in total. It is a fascinating look at the industry. They talk to a lot of uh, big names that you will know like alex uh about what does it mean to be ip and comic book and this whole craze and all the money that that flows in and listen to their journey about the making of this comic book and then go and read the comic book it was a real treat um like i said it's a little bit slow in time because they do try to cram in you know financial stuff i'm still giving it four slices of meatloaf out of five it is a fun comic that you can go and uh, check out. So Microface, a Planet a Planet Money comic book that came out last week, May 11th, 2022.
4: So there you go. Kind of crazy. They finally did that. I, I listened to that show, too, and I've kind of yeah. followed the whole thing. Yeah. It's absolutely worth following that if you're interested at all yeah. in
2: what goes on I, in that world. I only got a copy because uh, normally uh, publishers will send us review copies. And I was like, well, I'm not going to bother NPR for a... Copy because they probably don't have an electronic version because you can't buy it through the Amazon link. You can only buy it through the NPR uh, shop. Uh, but Alex was like, "Hey, if there's anybody who's interested in reviewing this, let me know." And I was like, "Hey, dude!" And he's like, "Yeah, glad. Send it, you know, send it my way." So I do have an electronic version of this, and it's it's good. It's fun. So there you go. I think
1: right. I think through the NPR shop you can also buy Microphase branded cheese.
2: Yes. Oh yeah, they have they started doing some merchandise stuff. Yes, and they have my a whole episode please. about. Merchandising and cheese because there was this, I guess some people that listened to the show that were really into this and were like, "Yes, we want to uh, have MicroFace branded cheese." Wow! All right, it literally—good. I mean, it is so fascinating that you have to listen to the podcast episodes about the making of this comic book. Wow! That—that that right. adds. I think that adds to the experience of reading this comic
4: be great if that made, got some kind of rights sold and it ended up streaming or in a movie form. Uh, um, <laughs> you
2: know, so Alex Segura, uh, not only is he working for Archie Comics, uh, not only is he a fantastic uh, mystery novel writer, he also does a lot of other things. One of the things that he recently did, uh, I can't remember the name of the podcast, but there is a mystery girl podcast that you can listen to. It's a story podcast. And um, he is the executive producer of that series. So it would not surprise me that if, Microface moves forward that he is involved every step of the way with this with this character. Wild. Pretty yeah. wild. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Let us take a look at a comic that comes out this week, Matthew. You're taking a look mm-hmm. at Marvel's Voice's identity, part of um Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month uh, from mm-hmm. Marvel Comics.
3: Yes, and uh it's got a lot. A lot of creators. Uh, I want to say that our primary writers are Emily Kim, uh, Rina Ayuyang, Sabir Pirzada, Pornsock, uh, Shote, art by Eric koda Keizama, Grace Lee, and Ricky Yagawa. It's really interesting because the first story in this issue features Shang-Chi and Jimmy Wu, uh, forced to fight basically in the Squid Games. And I mean that literally, if you've ever seen the Squid Games, it's very clearly a reference to that. But both of these characters have a really strong argument to being Marvel's first Asian character and the first Chinese character uh, to be you know, a headliner in mainstream comics. So it's fascinating that this story takes that metatextual approach and they meet and they fight. And it seems like they've been drugged to hate each other And Shang keeps making the argument that Jimmy Wu is American. And Shang is, in fact, Chinese. And Jimmy is like, you don't understand what it's like to be Chinese-American. And Shang is like, you don't understand what it's like to be Chinese in America. And when you get to the end of the story, you know, you get a little bit of cool adventure stuff. But what it really ends up being is an examination of how, even though you are both characters who, you know, can trace your lineage to China, you are not the same character. And I love that. I really love that. That's the thing that's going to stick with me from this book. We also get a story with uh, Ms. Marvel. We get a lot of appearances of Jimmy Woo and the agents of Atlas. And Shang-Chi appears just all over. I'm not sure why. I feel like some sort of synergy or something might be happening. But the Shang-Chi is just all over this comic. You know, he has a nice moment with Ms. Marvel. He has his thing with Jimmy Woo. But you get into this issue, and then we get to the part that really puzzles me. Um, so here's the thing that puzzles me. This has nothing to do with the book or the story or anything. So you know how Marvel has these big, huge movies, right? And these <laughs> yeah. movies are... Yeah, you've heard of these, right? They're big, yeah, they're big. Something about, like, this Iron man, which I think is about uh, Iron Hubbard, yeah. who invented Dianetics, but... One of the characters who appears in those films is an alien version of a Marvel character, Mantis. Mantis in the comics is uh, half Vietnamese and was raised actually in either Vietnam or Sin Cong, which is a a made-up Marvel country, which pretty much was in the 70s Vietnam. And this story serves... To do one important thing, and one important thing only, is to make Mantis in the comics look like Mantis in the movies. Oh, really? That's weird. Wow. I I like it. I mean, the story actually does have a narrative reason for it. And, you know, she's playing off of Groot. So, you know, she's having these epiphanies and fighting, you know, Thanos on some sort of psionic plane and trying to come to terms with her true identity. But the upshot is Mantis now looks like Mantis in the movies. Um, That's weird. It is a little weird. It's not necessarily badly handled, but it feels like my it makes my teeth itch in that way that (laughs) I feel like it's problematic, but I can't quite put my finger on why. But of course, you know, the winner, the the winner of the whole thing is uh, Wong, the story of Wong, Dr. Strange's uh, faithful major domo, and, you know, the real brains of the outfit there on on Bleecker Street. And we just get kind of a day in the life of Wong and uh, that's the ghost Basset Hound, which I really appreciate because it seems like somebody's getting the upper hand on old Wong and then things are definitely not entirely what they seem. Now I will say that Wong doesn't look like Benedict Wong. So if you're a huge fan of Benedict Wong in the movies and you know the Tide commercials, uh, if you go and buy this, you're going to have to go. Okay, this is the same guy played by Benedict Wong. Got it? Okay, you're good. But all in all, three and a half slices of meatloaf for Marvel Voices Identity 2022. do not confuse this with Marvel Voices Identity 2020 or Marvel Voices Identity 2021. Uh, these books do exist. They are out there. Feel free to check them out. I have not read them myself. But Marvel's uh, ability to make a comic book title incredibly complicated goes on. Three listen. slices of me. Off
2: I could go on and talk about one shots and the proper way to do this. Don't. That's not. But no. I won't. But no. Listen, listen, no, Listen. No. Detective Comics Annual were numbered because every year DC Comics was releasing a Detective Comics Annual. So it made sense to have one, two, three, four, five, all the way up to 27 or whatever that they had. Marvel's Voices Identity, if this is going to be their ongoing thing, they should have named this one issue number three instead of parentheses 2022, number one, because that's not what that is is so anyway but they're doing what you
3: want in this because
2: they no because it. they don't call it a, uh, they don't call it marvel's voices identity one shot it's marvel's voices identity number one but it literally has the word one i know I'm it going to have this argument with yeah you. yeah no it's no we, they're not, we'll they're here not here doing for another it the, hour they're not doing
3: it the let's right. talk about the anyway, fall guys some more let's hey, hey. no
2: no 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 rodrigo has been very quiet and very patient and very loving uh this entire episode so i want to hear what he has to say about a comic from vault comics
1: Vault Comics. Uh, yeah, so I read Mindset number one. Uh, it is the story of a uh, a kind of a tech kid who discovers a way to do straight up mind control um, and sort of what, what happens there. Uh, it opens uh, of course with a murder.
3: Murder. And, and then it goes no from there.
1: I, I should I should I should point out that I'm I believe the release date for this is like late June. So I I I didn't pay attention to when it was coming out, but this is a, a book that doesn't come out for a while. So you're gonna have to wait if you wanna if you wanna read this. Um probably the most notorious thing about this issue is the art. Um John Pearson uh, art is really reminiscent at times of that old school Vertigo painted soft lines but also um, like more implying of things rather than rendering it uh, in a completely lifelike way So uh, sounds
4: like Sandman or something
1: yeah, so, you know, characters will be in a room, and they'll be relatively solid, but then when you do close-ups, things about them start fading. Like, um, one character is, like, weirdly cast in, like, green shadows, and it doesn't feel like, oh, this character is, like, is, like why is this weird green space alien here? It's just kind of, everything is very... Um, it's sort of like everything goes by its emotional weight rather than necessarily what it truly represents. Um it is kind of an issue because we see actually lots of close-ups of the main character, and the main character doesn't look like the same person in every one of those close ups. Um also sometimes the color palette will like change on you. And I'm like, am I still is it still the same day? Am I still looking at the same character? And yes. Uh, it all kind of, except for the murder, which takes place later. It all kind of takes place in the same time. Um, it is, it's interesting, uh, really. The it, it's an interesting idea, uh, like kind of sci-fi story of like, um, what if we discovered mind control? What if instead of immediately weaponizing it, what if somebody with like a a conscience? Tries to make it into something good, into a way to say, prevent people from falling into uh, bad habits, like, you know, giving tons of money to uh, apps that approach you on Facebook or, you know, get you to actually stop using social media or start going into bad rabbit holes on social media, right? What if, what if there was an app like those behavioral trackers? Um, but it the the app actually made you behave, um, and and what problems develop from there. So that's interesting. Um, probably the real downside to it is that the I don't find the main character likable. Um, they are kind of uh, they had a they didn't have a great childhood, but they had lots of advantages and. Um, they are kind of blunking as, as of the, uh, you know, of this first issue, uh, you know, not for any particularly good reason, um, you know, it's just college, like, difficulty uh, trying to get through it. So I, I don't know. I'm just like, I'm like, OK, yeah, this premise is interesting, but do I have to have this character in the driver's seat? And I think the answer is yes. So that takes a little bit out of it. But uh, still, you know, still an interesting. I'm, I'm still very curious to see where they go from here. I'm going to give it three and a half slices of meatloaf. Definitely check it out. And again, if you're jonesing in for that more, um, like less concrete and more, what do I want to say? Like
3: metaphysical, uh, esoteric, maybe?
1: Yeah. Yeah, something like that for, you know, art
3: impressionistic.
1: that is impressionistic. Let's go with impressionistic. Art that is more impressionistic than your usual comic book fair. I do recommend Mindset, number one.
2: Very, very cool. Uh, so there you go. A lot of a lot of cool things to look at. And I have, ladies and gentlemen, put the uh, theme song to the Fall Guy in the show notes. So you can go and listen to that whole thing Whoa. in its entirety. Five Apparently five minutes worth, Scott. Uh, so, uh, so
4: big. It's so long. And there's a whole Burt Reynolds thing I never knew about. You guys are in for a treat.
2: You mm-hmm. are, you are so welcome in advance. And for those of you that are wondering, what's that Alex Segura, uh, podcast, uh, thing with the teenage, uh, uh, the girl mystery detective thing, it's called lethal lit, a Tig Torres mystery. You can find that on Apple podcasts. Uh, right where you can find this podcast. So uh, go in and check that out. We don't have any names to shout out this week. We didn't have any new uh, people join us over on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash major spoilers, but we would love to give you a shout out. And we'd also like to save you a little bit of money uh, right now. If you sign up for a yearly um, uh, pledge, you can save, like, uh, you can pay, I think, for 10 months and get two months free when you sign up for the uh, yearly pledge. We'd love to have you join us over on our Patreon page. A lot of cool things going on over there. You can join and find out more at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Okay. It is time okay. to jump into our trade paperback, which I did not realize that this came out in, like, 2001 was the first issue. The first, I think this trade came out in 2002. Uh, I thought it came out like 2008, nine, ten, somewhere around there. I knew it was old, but not mm-hmm. what, not 20 years old. Uh, it's Hammer of the Gods from Michael Avon Oeming and Mark Wheatley. And um, yeah, like I said at the top of the show, get out your Led Zeppelin and get uh, uh, get your immigrant song going because
1: come
5: from the, the land of the ice and, and snow.
2: Uh, I'm sure Scott <laughs> when knows something all. Something
3: goes in a ho ho ho.
1: <laughs> you Santa's from go, the go,
3: north, uh,
4: no. I mean, riding like, sleighs
3: with yeah. reindeer.
4: This is as real as as it's ever going to get for me with with them. That's an amazing impression. Really
2: <laughs> you don't good. like Led Zeppelin, Scott?
4: No, I love Led
2: Zeppelin. Oh, okay. I just,
4: I just, I'm just giving you guys the you know as you prom, guys, all you should, props you want. You
3: should but, hear me do stairway when uh, uh, Trump,
2: when no we morning. go when my youngest son uh, the sidekick was doing karate. He's not doing it anymore, but when we would go to tournaments, right as we were pulling up, I would crank that song up, uh, so that he could get pumped. And then that was followed by, uh, we are the champions and, um, what's the other queen song that they play back to back? Uh, we are the champion. Oh, we we, are will the rock, champions we will rock you. Champions and we rock you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, of those three songs, turns out that he is a huge fan of queen. So, uh, there you go. He can instantly recognize a queen song at, uh, at uh two beats in. Is this a queen song dad? Yeah. Oh, I like them. So. That's pretty cool. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Good, back well. to back to Hammer of the Gods. Rodrigo, what is Hammer of the Gods about?
1: Uh Hammer of the Gods is a story about a young man who um spends who is both blessed and cursed has basically kind of a double-edged blessing. Um he is blessed when he's a baby that um, he is going to be like super healthy and big and strong. uh, But if he ever picks up a weapon, his soul will leave his body and he'll die. Right. Yeah. So um, he decides to go traveling around the world, helping people because he feels that uh, the gods are protecting his parents because they're so devout. And when he gets back, you know, his parents have been stepped on by giants, and he shakes his fist at the heavens and is like, this is your fault, Thor, for not helping. And then uh, he, he begins a, a, a quest to find a way to get into Valhalla and punch and punch Thor's face.
2: And and this isn't like T-H-O-R. This is like T-H-O-R-R because it's, oh, yeah. it's real Norse mythology. And yeah, uh, Odin is present and Loki is present and Valkyrie are present. Uh, and this is just like one big long, I would almost say that it's like a Conan revenge story. If this, if Conan were a Viking uh, and, you know, just I'm going to go find the gods. I'm going to beat the crap out of the gods. And along the way, we find out, why the gods haven't been involved in stuff and we find out what it means to rally people but we also kind of discover that uh while uh what is this guy's name uh Mo- Modi 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 uh we Modi. find out kind of one of the reasons why the gods are a little bit depowered is because Modi is going around bad mouthing all the gods and people are like yeah screw these gods and we'll follow you Modi and so the gods because they don't have their worshipers are kind of losing their they're uh, they need some uh some viagra to get their vitality back up or something a little uh, like
4: american gods is the is that
3: concept yeah yeah
2: yeah 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 very much like that which when did american gods when did uh game write book, that? book yeah. was
3: like uh the book was in the mid 90s really okay
1: yeah.
2: cuz yeah, yeah there is a there's very much of that kind of a concept uh yeah, the, going on the
1: there. idea the idea that like gods need prayer like to sustain themselves has been around it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a mythology it's like a modern mythology trope
2: yeah uh, american gods came out in 2001 so very wow. much around this exact same time so yeah. very very interesting mm. scott what did you think about what did you think about the hammer of the gods uh, from the story so perspective
4: i ripped right through it um and had a good time with it um i was put off at first by the art that grew on me mm-hmm. um, a little too Samurai Jack in the early goings. And I know this this artist is famous for this stark kind of, I don't know, almost Hellboy style, but not quite. It's hard, kind of hard to put my finger on what yeah,
2: it is. I it mean, me, people know. know him from Powers really is where he and Brian Michael Bendis um, did Powers. And that's kind of where I discovered him. But yeah, yeah his is a very distinct uh, style.
4: Yeah, and it's not a negative to say. I just think it's like, I don't know. I wasn't sure it was going to fit the material. Because what you had sold this to me as or when I talked to you, you were like, oh, yeah, this is a, you know, North mythology, not the Marvel Thor. But this is like, you know, they're going real hardcore. And for the most part, you were correct, except this thing took a lot of liberties with modern language. Oh, yes, And it, it took me out a lot of the story. I think I would have preferred they stayed hardcore. The, the gods have forsaken us and we will adventure forth in this kind of talk and done that and done that only, mm-hmm. but instead it's interstitial stuff like man, this sucks, <laughs> you know, like stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they
1: actually say crap a
4: lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was a lot of crap, a lot of crap, which I, but just, again, I, I know what they're going for there and maybe that worked for some, but for me, that just took me out and made me go, well, all right, pick a lane, you know, which, which is this? Is it a tongue in cheek kind of take on this or is this self-serious and i can i can appreciate both but i had a hard time with with having them cross um again maybe just a personal preference thing but that that kind of bugged me overall though i enjoyed it i wanted to see in fact it kept reminding me of samurai jack to the point that i wouldn't mind if like gendy tenakovsky or tartakovsky did like a you know some shorts or something based on Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. this leads itself or lends itself really well to just big bombastic violent but also kind of strong shapes and and um, mm-hmm. interesting yeah. stylistic backgrounds and like that kind of stuff is what this was reminiscent of and so overall I, I really had a good time with it i i just wish the dialogue was a little less like
2: you know I, there'd be more
4: yeah. like oh look how serious this is this is great and then somebody would crack wise about something that wasn't consistent with the world and i would just go well i'll write you fourth wall break well <laughs> sit
3: on it arnold
4: yeah look at <laughs> yeah. that I,
3: I agree
2: with you on the art is that I think Oming's art takes a little bit of getting used to. Some people really don't care for it. I do like it, but at the first time you encounter it, it is a little jarring. But then as you said, Scott, when you get around to he's really playing with shapes and, you know, color, it's like, there are times where the Valkyries are walking through and it's not like he's intentionally, well, maybe he is trying to show off their behinds. And it's like, well, the way that he drew this and the way that he's using those shapes it does it does place the buttocks in just the right place to where it does look like uh like i mean it is art but it just looks like a something that is well thought out and not rushed through uh to get this to get this very stylized uh i guess sexy look to it i guess Mm -hmm. um and, and yeah. it's not like it's, it's not like sexy in a weird way. I, there's no nudity or anything like that in the issue. Um, okay. but it, it, it's just the, yeah, it's just the, the, the combination of the, the shape and the style and the contrast and even the limited color palette, uh, yeah, I think lends a itself it. a lot to this. I'm yeah. going to, and I agree with you on the language. I like the overall concept of the story and I like the big reveal at the end, which we can talk about in a little bit or not. Um, I didn't care for how disjointed the story felt. It just felt like, okay, we're going to spend some time talking about how crappy it is that we've been following Modi around for all this time. And we've gone through all these battles, but we're no closer than anywhere that we're at. And Modi's like, well, do you want to leave? Oh no, no, we'll follow you wherever you want to go, Modi. And he's like, okay then. And then it's like, then they went and had magnificent battle. You know, the narration is like they had magnificent battles and traveled all over and they fought these guys and, killed some people and other people join them. And I was like, that's the part that I want to see in this book. And you're relegating it to a narrator's box. And I yeah, was just like, Oh, really it just,
4: stuff. you're yeah, totally yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. And that, and that was my biggest
2: complaint from the story. Well, and yeah. I think the whole point was in hindsight, when you read it and you find out that not only does, uh, is Modi taking the power of the gods by badmouthing them and getting people to follow him. But we also find out that a uh, scheme by Loki had the power of Mjolnir, uh transferred into uh, Modi. And so he's right. literally got the hammer of the gods inside of him. And so uh, when you look back in hindsight and you know those two things, then it's like, oh, this quiet moment where he's like giving the, in the option of leaving or staying. No, he's building up a following like a God would build up a following. And so then it yeah. makes sense. But when it's like, oh man, I want to see Vikings punching giants and, Tearing down, you know, buildings and stuff, and then they're just like, oh, here's a narrator box explaining that. That idea
4: before. It's a little like explosions off to the side in a TV show. Like, oh, I guess they didn't have the budget there for that. Yeah. What were um, you gonna say?
1: Yeah, so when you read mythology, where like when you read like the ancient texts or something, they don't tend to um they don't tend to sound like modern writing, right? It's, it's very much, uh, in a lot of ways, a tell-don't-show kind of situation mm-hmm. where they will say something like, and then he went off and he beat up this three-headed monkey, and then he went off over here and he found this sacred jewel, and he walked the sacred jewel for miles and miles and miles and three more miles and ten more miles and one more mile and six more miles until he was finally at the place, right? Mm-hmm. So the the issue here is that I think that's what they're going for. I right. think what they're going for is like, and low did Modi punch punchitize everything that uh, was ever thrown at him um, and want to sort of build up that idea. But the problem actually is the language. Um, the text boxes are not in a type of language that implies that you are reading an old text Mm -hmm. um, like an old viking text or like an epic poem you know you're not reading you're not reading the the like prose adas here you're you're reading something else um you're you're reading a comic book and i think if they had changed the language of it then this sort of stuff would have felt more more solid right even the stuff where they're like and then they fought this thing and this monster and two different monsters that look like sexy babes that have their back to you. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, it would have it helped that a lot. I honestly felt myself pretty disconnected from this whole book for the majority of it. Um, I kind of, I, I couldn't really get into it. I didn't particularly like Modi. And once we start getting into the end and all the like, kind of like death fake outs, -hmm. I was like, uh, I was uh, particularly uh, annoyed at that.
3: Matthew, what about you? I think it's interesting to hear you and Scott discussing the art. When I look at this art, and I clearly see why—at least you love it, Stephen. The the roots of Oming is Bruce Tim's work on Batman the Animated. Yeah, and
2: also, also, I I think Scott alluded to. uh, 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 Mike Mignola. M- 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 Mignola. Uh, yeah. yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think Mignola comes out of that same thing. You know, it, that Batman the animated series coming out around about, right about the same time. I just feel like this is kind of the animated series version of something you might read. Mm-hmm. And for me, I really kind of enjoyed the colloquialisms in the the writing and the language. And part of that is the fact that. I don't necessarily feel a great connection to uh, Norse mythology. Honestly, most of what I know about Norse mythology comes through, you know, Lee and Kirby. But it does give you that feeling of an oral history or a story that has been carried down and carried down. And this is the time that Grandpa threw a boat over a hedge, but kind of taken into a narrative realm where, We're hearing these stories, but we're kind of hearing them in a way that feels targeted towards a modern reader, maybe even a modern younger reader, somebody who wouldn't necessarily go and read an actual Norse Edda or Edda or however one pronounces it, I don't know, but would absolutely read the guy from Powers drawing it, you know, and I kind of got through this, and there were points where it's like, and lo, many battles happened off to the side, and we're not going to talk about that right now. Mm -hmm. That amused me. I really (laughs) felt like that was kind of a neat way to encapsulate what is this huge story into what five issues, four issues. Yeah,
2: and that's the other thing is this is five issues long, and it. At times, it feels like it's longer than five issues, especially when you get to the end game, when they finally get to Valhalla and fight. But there are other times where it's like, this doesn't feel like it's five issues worth of comics. Yeah. So it's a it really weird kind of like, kind of yeah. like, like what Scott and it I what were talking about in the pre-show about time is really weird right now. What were you going to say, Rodrigo? Uh,
1: it, it it does feel weird. Like, the timing of it feels weird. I thought it was, you know, it's like... Uh... So it's like all of Modi's journey and he finally gets to Valhalla and he's gonna fight the gods and he punches Thor and then it's like oh no giants so he has to fight the giants um and it's like all of this stuff happens and he dies twice and then like there's all this other stuff and it's like and he ends up out of Valhalla and it's like and this was the beginning of Modi's journey and I'm like oh, right. <laughs> I'm like that was that was the beginning of it. It felt like he did most of the things that he set out to do. I hope that the next issue of this takes place in like the 1800s, yeah. right? That, that like Modi <laughs> is somehow still around, you know, a thousand years later. Just kind of. And
3: now he's Detective Christian Walker of the Yeah, New York exactly, Studios exactly.
1: Department. Just yeah, something like
2: that. I mean, that would have been uh, crazy. Uh, Powers came out in 2000. This came out in February of 2001. Um, the thing was that Powers was, I believe, over at Image Comics where it started. Uh, Hammer of the Gods originally was in Insight Studios Group, and then that uh, I guess was bought out, or they moved the last couple of issues or whatever over to IDW Publishing when IDW Publishing was still a mm-hmm. new publisher. So it's kind of interesting to see that happen. But this, I want—I don't want to say this feels like a vanity project, but this kind of feels like a vanity project. Mm.
4: I could see that. I'm a little bit surprised. Um, or I, when I did read it, I went, "Wait, IDW existed back." And this know, time, right? blew my mind for a minute so i thought i had a little bit of an out of time experience but yeah like i i don't know like i say if this was animated i'd feel better about it but then also this style leads me to wanting less dialogue than they gave me
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: it I is go, weirdly wordy for yeah, for the style weird, yeah pretty wordy. yeah
3: which you know modi talks a lot
1: yeah well, well he's got it. a lot of anger he, that he's got to
2: get out, and he's got to express his anger through his words because that's what his therapist told him: is that the the best way to to work through your anger issues is to to speak them aloud. All right, I'm hanging up. <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: uh, have you guys have you guys seen any stuff from uh, Final Fantasy: Stranger of Paradise?
4: I have not. No, not that. That's the one that's like a prequel to the original.
1: Yeah, it's like it's like a prequel to Final Fantasy One, or maybe it's just the events of Final Fantasy One, but like with actual characters, because <laughs> Final Fantasy One has very bare bones kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. But and it's like uh, you know, it's like a dodge roll type game. So a lot of I think a lot of Final Fantasy fans were like, "No thanks." There doesn't seem to be any menus here. Um. Of which I am of which I am one. I'm not I'm not bashing menu based RPGs, but anyway the main character in that I've seen all these videos where all he wants to do is kill chaos. Yep. Uh, he's like, I must kill chaos. Yeah. And then like, it's not very clear whether chaos is like an actual being, or if he just means the concept of chaos. Oops, sorry about right that. Here this, I have it
4: uh, let's see, here it is. I'm here to kill chaos. This became <laughs> a huge <laughs> meme, gigantic yep. meme for anybody watching that year's E3 or whatever present presentation it was. Yeah. He just kept saying, I'm here to kill chaos. Yeah, and and that, you're right. That's how this felt. Yeah. It felt like this dude just kept saying, I'm here to kill the gods and wouldn't stop talking about
2: it. Yeah. there. Yeah. So there were a couple of uh, interesting moments in this comic that I really, really got a kick out of. The first time he fights a giant and the giant is like, I'll just squash you. And then he squashes him. And then the giant, you know, the reaction of the giant of, holy crap, this guy's strong. And, you know, he throws him and does all that. I thought that was a nice little, here's your heroic moment of the hero coming into beyond just a strong guy kind of thing. But then the other aspect of the story that I got a big kick out of was when they get to Valhalla, they're like, why does Thor and why does Odin not have, why do they not have an army of really great soldiers to fight by his side? And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, all throughout this issue, the Valkyrie have been showing up and killing guys before they were supposed to die. You know, if you're a true Viking going to Valhalla, you die during battle. You don't die, you know, from a, a, a staph infection. or You don't die from a common cold. That's not how you get into Valhalla. And so these guys want to live so they can go and fight and actually earn uh, their seat at the table. And the Valkyrie are like, nah, you're close enough, stab. And so they're allowing all of these quote-unquote weak uh, warriors into Valhalla, which is also bringing down... The, uh, uh, the the vitality of of the gods which I just thought was that was the coolest concept in the entire book yeah. was was yeah. the Valkyries who are just like got lazy and, and just wanted to get their job done
1: like it 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 almost makes like the disgraced Valkyrie character a more interesting character than yeah. Modi. yeah
2: yeah yeah, yeah. Hmm. very much so
5: hmm.
2: very much so yeah so uh bottom line for me I'm not sure I would buy this book. Uh, First of all, I don't think you can buy this book. Um, I think we had ours from, well, in fact, I know it's from the old archive of, uh, from IDW's archive. Um, I think I'm going to give this a pass, to be honest. I don't think that there's enough in here to hold your interest, especially when there's so many other, you know, Viking related things that are big right now, you know, uh, the, uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, you've got that. Of course you've yeah, got the, the Northman North, that though, I was yeah. the Northman that I was talking about in the pre-show. There's a lot of other stuff that I think will, uh, scratch your itch, uh, Thor love and thunder coming out. I think all of that stuff will scratch your itch better than hammer of the gods will. I think I would even recommend going back and reading Neil Gaiman's versions of the North mythology, um, Norse mythology oh, is, is the series it's yeah so it's good. really good
1: yeah, I would read that sure, over this. I'm pretty sure there's a fair amount of God of War comics mm,
2: yeah yeah basically
1: yeah. the the reboot not not the reboot because it's the same character but the, you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. God of War mm-hmm. with no mm-hmm. subtitles or anything uh, to to make it complicated the one where he's you know old and has a baby. Um, that all takes place in, oh, right. yeah, in the north. Um, Yeah, in the north.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I like I like Michael Avon Oeming's art. I appreciate what they're trying to do with the story. And I think there's interesting bits. But ultimately, I think I can't I don't think I can recommend this book. Matthew, what do you what? Let's say you.
3: Um, I say that the art carries a lot of it and I enjoyed it. I feel like if you can swing the expense, it's worth checking out. Uh, But again, you know, you have to keep in mind that I'm a weirdo. And if you do listen to the things or read the things or watch the things that I like and you go, what's this crap? You know, take that with the necessary grain of salt. Rodrigo.
1: I I didn't like it. You know, I, 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 this, I was flipping, I'm just reading it, flipping through it. And I'm like, this should be my jam. But it's kind of not, um, and I think it's just that I kind of don't like the protagonist. I don't like, um, I, I don't like the, the setup, and then I feel like it cheats on its own setup. Um, so I, I just all around wasn't into it. So th- this is a pass for me.
2: And Scott, since you are our guest, you get the final word this week.
4: Uh, if you find it on Comixology and Unlimited for some reason, because they're like, hey, we're putting some cool comics up on Unlimited, I would I would recommend a read. If you are presented with this and you're told you got to pay paperback prices for this or full digital for it, I would say probably pass. Yeah, there you go.
2: All right. Yeah. Uh, if you want to hear us talk about the Northman or my reactions to the Northman, uh, we do that in the Major Spoilers uh, pre-show <laughs> that you can get over on our Patreon page. And uh, we hope that you come and join us over on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash major spoilers. But for now, that's where we're going to wrap up this issue. Scott, where can people find more of you and what are the cool things that you're talking about this week across all of your cool shows?
4: Well, there's lots going on, plenty of shows to get into, depending on kind of what you're into. Um, We talked briefly about video games, and I would like to recommend people, if they haven't checked it out yet, I have a little show called Core. Uh, which is all about kind of core gaming, everything from, you know, big news in the world of consoles and PCs and the movers and shakers all the way down to, you know, what weird indies we're playing. Uh, It's a really fun uh, roundtable show that we run on Thursdays, and it has been growing like crazy. If you want to see what all the hype is about and why that show has just become my weekly passion, uh, go check it out. It's at frogpants.com slash core or core wherever you get podcasts Just search for it. And uh, for everything else, you can just find all, all my stuff at frogpants.com, including that art I referred to earlier. Got a bunch of that up there, so you can kind of see what I'm going on about there and why I
2: won't NFT any of it. There you go. And uh, follow me on Twitter, Scott Johnson. All right, uh, Matthew,
3: where can people find you? Uh, usually, you can find me leaning on the front of the Quick Stop with the skinny guy singing Neutsch Noich, Noich. noich. Uh, follow me on the Twitter at Mighty King Cobra. Coming up this week, you guys, 10 cruel comic book pranks. So look forward All right, and Rodrigo, where can people find more of your
2: awesome stuff?
1: Uh, You can definitely go to Twitter uh, and look me up, at Fearsome Critter. Today I got into a fight uh, about uh, multiverses and what it means to import characters uh for their prestige but not want to also import in the baggage so we're having deep conversations about
2: is this the warner brothers uh, smash bros game that was announced okay all right there you go uh all right everybody that's where we're gonna wrap it up until next time we know that you love comics we do too we will talk with you soon
5: Major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm stark raving it's like a man of iron I Might not be surprised to find That I might actually have The heart cold To follow an entire storyline Would I really even need To read upon all, all those Escapades I mean who needs Such distractions When your sister's Such a babe But the downside Is such a beast Being shot up In a fun Be in the Middle East With a gang Santo throwing soldier what a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler.
3: This podcast is copyright 2022 by Major Spoilers Entertainment,
0: LLC.